Hello, everybody. Welcome back to the Culture Jack podcast. And on today's episode, we're going to talk all about the Eternals movie, the new MCU movie that just came out. Did you see it? I'm Dustin. I'll be your dissection and discussion host uh, for this episode of On Today's Episode. And if this is your first time on the show, what this show is, is the Culture Jack podcast semi-regular Saturday show where we talk about a movie that we've just watched or we talk about a show that we're currently watching or also have just watched and kind of break it down for you. It's kind of like a review and recap show. And the thing that I've noticed about this show on the podcast more than the other shows on the podcast is that it is it is becoming more and more varied in its presentation and i i know anthony when he does these kinds of shows he does it differently than i do with that's perfectly fine but i've also recently noticed that i am doing it differently than i was before before i was so ultra fixated on making sure that I discussed every single action plot point and story beat of the show. And now I, you know, I don't care as much. I just want to talk about the show because I love these movies, especially these Marvel MCU movies. And I love to talk about them. Uh, honestly, I'd love to talk about them with you. So hit me up on any of the social medias that we have or over there on beams where we could have a good cover good conversation. <laughs> What's a good conver? <laughs> we have a good conver over there on beams. Good com, con, convo, I think is what, what most people say. So, uh, as I am going to be talking about the Eternals and I think it was like two and a half hours long, like this was a long movie. I am going to be discussing spoilers as we go through it. And it is going to be a little, it's going to be a little bit, um, uh, a little bit disorganized, a little bit uh, maybe even disorienting for you uh, as you listen, because it's been a few weeks since I've seen The Eternals. I went and watched it in the movie theater. Now, my intention was to go see it again because I knew I was going to be doing this episode and talking about it maybe a little more thoroughly. And on that second viewing, I was going to, well, I was going to, I was going to take a little, take some notes. And with those notes, I was going to give you a more thorough and complete dissection of the movie Eternals. However, I did not end up going that second time. And so this is going to be disjointed and I, I will not apologize for that. Thank you very much. It's going to be a hell of an episode. You're going to want to stick around and you're going to want to engage with me in the mind conversation that we have. So as I, as I speak, as I, as I go through this movie in my mind, I am imagining you sitting there and talking about this stuff, excitedly sharing your favorite parts, moments, and characters with me as I am going to share with you. So maybe you could engage in that same mental exercise. We could, we could meet in an astral projected palace, uh, outside of this podcast realm outside of the headphones or car speaker that you're listening to this on. This is so weird. Why? Why? Every time, every time I start an episode, not every time I start an episode, but many of the times that I start an episode, I get into this. I don't, I don't know, just kind of existential rabbit hole <laughs> bunny trail. No, Peter was hopping down the bunny trail. 
what do people fall down when they're on on the internet? They they fall down not the bunny trail, the rabbit hole, beyond the rabbit hole. Where did Alice fall? Anyway, let's <laughs> let's talk about the the Eternals. Now, the Eternals, uh, if you do recall, I I believe I gave you a wonderful, excellent Marvel primer about the Eternals before it was released, and that episode was basically what the Eternals are in the comics, who these characters are, what their implications are for the greater Marvel universe as a whole, and then what we kind of expected from them in the movie. And I have to say, after that primer, all of my expectations were subverted. Not all of them, but many of them were subverted. And I'm not going to say that in a bad way. I really enjoyed this movie. I'll get that out of the way right away. And I'm... I'm not the only one that, but there were a lot of people that did not enjoy this movie. Even people like uh, Kevin Smith and Mark Bernard, and I listened to their podcast on occasion, Fat Man Beyond, and they were they were not impressed, like uh, unanimously. The, the two of them were in agreement that uh, it was not their favorite Marvel movie, and that's fine. Uh, most of the... Uh, controversy around uh, some of the stuff that I mentioned in the primer where there was uh, the gay kiss and the sex scene and the, the, the incredible amounts of diversity that were in that movie that some people were very vocal about online and review bombing the movie ahead of time for. Uh, I, I don't think those are the chief complaints I'm seeing now that the movie is out. The chief complaint that I'm seeing is, is that the movie was uh, too long and it was too dense and it was too different uh, from a, a regular Marvel MCU movie. So just to give you some numbers here uh, for terms of comparison to other big MCU blockbusters that have been out this year already, uh, global box office so far for the Eternals, um, this is really going to date the episode that it probably will have made much more by the time you listen to this, but it's $350 million. Now, that is uh, about similar to what Black Widow made. Uh, it was $371 million. And if you recall with Black Widow, well, there was that huge controversy surrounding Scarlett Johansson and the amount she was compensated for the movie and the movie being released simultaneously onto Disney+, Plus, which was not a stipulation within Scarlett Johansson's contract. Side note, Scarlett Johansson seems to be working well with Disney after they settled that particular lawsuit. So $371 million for Black Widow, and then Shang-Chi has made uh, $400 million in the box office. So if, if Eternals even stays at this $350 million mark, well, then I, I think we're, we're kind of starting to uh, get a pattern for this post-pandemic reopening of movie theaters, Marvel blockbusters again, because before you would expect a, a big event movie like this to make close to a billion dollars, 800, 800 million, 700 million dollars uh, at the very least um, before the pandemic. But then the pandem pandemic happened and now we're just kind of getting back into it. So now we're recognizing trends. And so for anyone that's making comparisons of these movies to older pre-pandemic MCU Marvel movies, you're, you're being disingenuous, to be honest with you. Uh, Shang-Chi, like I said, got 400 million. Uh, so it's, it's right there in the, 
in the same range. Now, when it comes to the expectations that I had going into this movie, I told you this one was going to be different, guys. I told you I wasn't just going to go through the story. I'm going to get through plenty of the story. So there will be spoilers. If you have not left already, uh, you know, leave now, go see Eternals and then come back and we'll, yeah, we'll talk about it. Well, I'll talk about it. I'll be here. I'll have already talked about it. You will, you will just have taken the digital version of myself, frozen it in time via a pause button, a stop button, or a delete download button. Please don't delete the download. Save it for later. What was I talking about? Oh, yes. My expectations going into the Eternals. So the Eternals, to me, were in much the same vein as Guardians of the Galaxy was when that came out in 2014, 2015. I can't recall. Uh, But when Guardians of the Galaxy came out, I was like, who are these characters? I know absolutely nothing about these characters. And for longtime followers of the show, you'll know that I have a habit. If I don't know about a character, I don't know about a setting in the Marvel Universe. I like to go to the wiki, check it out, read about it, and then, uh, you know, kind of spoil myself for the movie, but essentially get to know the characters a little bit better. And that allows me to see, you know, how faithful is the representation of that character on the silver screen. I did the same thing with Eternals, but I did not do it with Guardians of the Galaxy. So when I went and saw Guardians of the Galaxy, I was blown away. These new characters were very appealing to me. The the comedy was very fresh. uh, And and the whole movie, one of my top favorite MCU films to date. I mean, it's it's still really, really good. And so the Eternals, I had kind of that same feeling. I'm gonna go into this and I'm going to see a movie Uh, That introduces me to a new team of characters, to uh, a new group, to a new setting, um, and it's going to expand the universe. Those were my expectations. I have not been entirely let down by an MCU movie, I think, in the history of the MCU. Like, there's no no MCU movie where I walked out of the theater or I, I turned off the TV and I was like, well, that was dumb and a big waste of my time. I've loved all of it. All of it has captured my imagination. Like I said, my my uh, recap of the Eternals is only going to be as good as my memory is, which full disclosure, it is not great because uh, I don't have any notes. So this is going to be very slapshot, very, very disjointed. Like I said, uh, I think the movie, it starts out with, uh, you know, the Eternals coming to Earth and and showing these primitive human beings their powers and and teaching them agriculture and really shaping the course of humanity. What what else happens? So they're they're these Eternals are all hanging out together. We're introduced to the gang and uh, wars are happening and there's some dispute among the Eternals. Hey, we've progressed humanity so far and and they're not. Uh, you know, they're just killing each other. We need to do a better job at this. And they said, well, that's not our job. What is the Eternals job? The Eternals uh, job is to fight the Deviants. So that's why the Eternals came to Earth, or at least early on. That's what we are set up to believe is the Eternals came to Earth to fight these creatures called the Deviants, who at this point are preying on early humanity. And through all this, uh, one of the Eternals, Thena, she goes crazy. And she goes crazy with what is what is that thing called? It's it's called mad 
something. But she goes crazy because the Eternals live forever. And one thing that happens when you live forever is you get kind of an immortality sickness. And as you've lived uh, years and years and eons and, and thousands of years, your mental state just kind of cracks. So she cracks and she starts attacking the team. Her and Gilgamesh decide they're going to go off by themselves. Gilgamesh says, I'm going to take care of her because like we said in the primer that when these Eternals, mad weary is what it's called. When these Eternals uh, get mad weary, the only solution is to have them put down because there is no, no cure for it. So Gilgamesh is going to watch over Athena and they, they take off at the beginning. Uh, Cersei and Sprite and uh, Dane Whitman, who is Cersei's, I guess, boyfriend, at this point, they are attacked by a deviant, a deviant that they thought were all killed because, you know, during that beginning scene, when they were all had that confrontation and they're like humans are destroying each other, we need to help them more. That's not our job. Well, what is our job? Well, we've, we've advanced hum humanity so far. We've killed all the deviants. So now we just relax and wait until we're wait until we're called home. Essentially fast forward to the future. Cersei is living with Sprite and Dane and they are attacked by a deviant, a deviant that they thought would be uh, dead because there are no deviants anymore. Icarus comes and saves the day. And Icarus and Cersei, just like in the comics, their comic book counterparts, they have a relationship and they have had a relationship for hundreds of years. And this is where the sex scene happened in the Eternals. And it, I won't say that... Uh, the movie was bad or controversial because of the sex scene. It was, it was a fine sex scene, I guess, but it seemed very out of place and unnecessary because Cersei was teaching these primitive humans how to uh, tend to their crops. And Icarus went out and he says, Hey, I want to, I want to be with you. And she's like, yeah, you know, me too. And they kind of held hands and that was a strong emotional moment. And it was good enough. And we could have, we could have just assumed I'm not one that, you know, wants to see all, all sex scenes and movies put away and not, not displayed. Believe me, I'm as much of a pervert as the next person, but it did feel out of place. Um, again, though, that's not why this movie's getting all of it, all the flack that it's getting right now. So the deviants, this one that comes out and attacks Sprite and Cersei and Dane, uh, seems to be getting smarter. Sprite says it looked like he was trying to talk and it looked like he had a healing power because after he was blasted, he healed himself and Ajak, another one of the Eternals has a healing power as well. And so they're like, what the hell is going on? We thought all the deviants were dead. We've got to get the team back together and we've got to go find Ajak to figure out what's going on. So they do get the team back together. Unfortunately, when they find Ajak, uh, Ajak is dead. Oh, and the, the main deviant, I don't know what his name is. I don't know if he's the deviant that's supposed to be a uh, crow from the comic books that we talked about on the last episode. We talked about Eternals, um, but he is played by Bill Skarsgård, which is so funny to me because Bill Skarsgård is becoming so recognized as a mocap, as a costume actor uh, he seems like he's almost in contention for that number one crazy mocap and costume actor, Andy Circus. So like which one of them 
is better, which one is going to come out on top. And I'd have to say probably at this point, Bill Skarsgård, because Andy Serkis is uh, spending so much of his time uh, directing and producing and doing other things besides getting back in that mocap suit. Not to say that he won't or doesn't because he does. I think he loves that. I think I think he's got a real passion for it and a real talent for it. But the Deviants are back. They get the team back together and they go find Ajak, who is dead. A little orb comes out of her mouth. Now, Ajak, one thing she did is she communicated with one of the Celestials, these giant godlike creatures. And if you remember from Guardians of the Galaxy, there was a giant head that they went into, and that was a head of a Celestial called Nowhere. That was where the Collector lived and where he did all of his dealings, and they harvested like brain fluid from the head or whatever else. So these Celestials are making more and more of an appearance in the MCU. And that is one of the reasons why I appreciate this film so much is because of the expanded lore that we are getting from this movie and into the MCU. So Ajax dead, uh, this orb thing comes out of her and it goes into Cersei, at which point Cersei is transposed right in front of Erisham, the judge, the, the, the master celestial guy who I guess he does a lot of judging, but he's kind of like their boss. And she's like, what's up, boss? And he's like, well, you're in charge now because Ajak is dead. Uh, and she's like, what do we do? And, she, and he disappears. And he's like, well, where'd, where'd you go? And she can't get in contact with Erisham again. Uh, one of the characters they go to find, they find Druig, who I thought was going to be the primary antagonist of this movie. I thought he was going to be the big bad because in the comics, he helped the Mongols and he helped Genghis Khan and, and he was kind of a bad guy in the, in the comics in this one, when they find him, he was one of the chief complainers about why aren't we helping humanity with his, uh, telepathy powers where he could mind control humans, he could really stop them from killing each other. And so what he's done is he has escaped to like a swampy area somewhere. Uh, and he's established a cult for himself where everyone gets mind controlled by him, you know, whenever he needs them. And there's a really cool scene too, where they're fighting deviants in this little village that he has. And he's got all of these villagers mind controlled with rifles and so it's it's it was so cool the way they represented his mind control as actually being an effectual power against these deviants where you know it might not have otherwise been or you wouldn't think it was so uh cersei her power is she can uh, transmorgify things into other things. She can turn, you know, lead into gold or whatever, but she can only do it on uh, inorganic objects. She can't do it on living, living beings, but that changes in that fight in Druig's cult village where uh, a deviant is attacking and she turns it into a tree. This is important for later um, when it comes to the kind of final climactic moment, uh, the climax of the show. Let's see. The Unimind, okay, that comes, uh, I'm not going to talk about that just yet. So they find out that uh, Ajak and Icarus knew about the Deviants coming back. Uh, but they knew about it after Ajak had confessed to Icarus that she did not want the Emergence to take place. And what the Emergence is, is the Eternal's mission. The Eternal's mission is to clear out the deviants so an intelligent life can 
really populate itself on a planet and wants that planet's uh, like intellectual, I don't know, not, not, I was going to say groupthink, but it's like intellectual capacity is at a certain point, a seed that was deposited within the planet will give birth to a new celestial who will then in turn go and create new galaxies and new universes and new planets all teeming with life. And this cycle has to continue. Otherwise all life within the universe will go dark. It'll be, it'll be gone. So Ajax says this to Icarus and Icarus is like, no, I serve the celestials. You can't do this. Check out these deviants. And she's like, whoa, look at these deviants. And he kicks her off a cliff onto some ice uh, where the deviants then, then take her, including the one deviant who has the ability to absorb powers. And he does absorb a couple of the Eternals. He absorbs Ajax and gets her healing power. And then he absorbs... Athena's bodyguard Gilgamesh and gets his power. And each time he does, he becomes like a little more, um, a little more human looking. So he's still anthropomorphic in that, but he's still, he's just, he's becoming, you know, bipedal and develops language and intelligence. And the thing about the deviants is the deviants they were sent to earth by the celestials first. We find out, we find this out later. They were sent to, to earth by the celestials first. They were designed by the celestials to take out all of the predatory animals and organisms on the planet so that an intelligent life, in this case humans, could uh, spring up and, and develop and advance in their technology and, and progress. Ah, uh, then once all the all the real big predators are gone, that's when the Eternals come in because there was a glitch in the Deviants programming that had the Deviants uh, going after humans once they went after all the predators. So that's why the Celestials then made the Eternals to come deal with the Deviants. It was like they they couldn't fix the bug, so, so they had to have a, a patch or a workaround. There. All that being said, uh, the, the Icarus he he feeds essentially feeds Ajax to the Deviants. They kill her. He brings her body back and goes, "Oh no, her body! Who did <laughs> who did this?" Uh, but it was him the whole time. And so he's kind of the kind of the bad guy. Now they decide they come to the same conclusion that Ajax came to when Cersei became the new leader of the Eternals that they don't want this emergence to happen because when a celestial is born to a planet, all of the life on that planet dies. And essentially all that life was just to host the, uh, the new celestial. And so they decide they don't want this to happen. Now, Fastos, uh, he's kind of like the genius inventor. He decides that he will, uh, he can make a device, some bracelets that will collectively pool their powers so Druig can use his mind control because if, if they have collectively pooled their powers, they will become powerful enough to allow Druig to use his mind control on the celestial that's buried within the planet to have the celestial continue uh, slumbering and, and thus never waking up, never harming the planet, but also not harming the celestial as well. Icarus thinks this is a bad idea. He turns on them and Sprite as well turns on the, her fellow Eternals as, as well. There's another one, uh, Makari, uh, who 
Fasto, I think Fasto said, or Cersei said, go find where this Celestial sleeping. And so she's sprinting off to find the Celestial and Icarus and Sprite, you know, go after her. Let's see. Uh, so the, at this point, the Eternals are kind of picking and choosing sides. And, you know, some of them are saying, we're going to defeat the Celestial. We're going to put it back to sleep. And then some of them are saying, no, we're going to, to remain, in the, remain in the course. And I talked with Anthony about this. But uh, Kumali Nanji's character, uh, Kingo, he has decided that he cannot fight his brothers and sisters either way. He, he refuses to take part. So he takes his assistant and they, they leave. Uh, Tiamat, the celestial, he begins emerging and there's a, a massive fight scene. Some of the best fight scene that I've seen when it comes to superpowered individuals uh, the specifically Icarus, Fastos, Makari uh, fight scene on the beach. Mm, chef's kiss. It's so dang good. Uh, so Icarus. Wait, wait, hold on. I'm getting ahead of myself. So they, they're doing the Unimind and Druig gets his ass knocked out. No, he knocks out Sprite. <laughs> you see, this is what happens when I don't have any good notes that I just took. Uh, it's just a, a mishmash of thoughts that all happen in my head. I wouldn't be surprised if you start hearing some memories that I have about Shang-Chi in this Eternals, <laughs> in this Eternals review. So Sprite's like in, in a confession to Cersei, she says, look, you guys all get to be adults. We've lived forever and you get to be adults and do adult things. I am, I'm Sprite. I'm trapped in this body of a child. And that's, you know, that's tough for me when I'm in love with Icarus, essentially. And so she's like, I get it. And Druig, who just has come to, he smashes over the head with the rock. Oh, that's what happened. Icarus has destroyed the ability for them to make the Unimind. So they can no longer do that. Meanwhile, Tiamat is coming up through the Earth's core. His big, giant, stupid head is coming up out of the water. And land and volcanoes are collapsing into the sea. And his big, giant, stupid hand is coming up out of the water as well. And his big, super fingers are, are sticking out of the waves or crashing. And it reminded me. If any, anyone has ever seen or read the uh, manga or anime Berserk, if you remember when Guts uh, is in like that, that hell realm and they are, they're giving Griffith that, those powers and he's up in that giant hand that was summoned by the egg that's made of faces and all of the demons are standing on the fingertips. Like it gave me some, some vibes like that, which also then in turn made me think, man, a live action berserk movie could actually pull off some of the visuals fairly well. If this is something that Marvel can achieve though, you know, Marvel can and has achieved many things that other studios and development companies have not. That's beside the point. All of that is beside the point. Uh, so, so he's coming up out of the ocean and Druig knocks Sprite out because she's about to take out Cersei. Oh, oh, that's the thing. So Cersei decides she's going to try and use her powers on an organic being like a celestial, like she did on that deviant back in that, that village. And Sprite comes up and Sprite's power is the power of illusion. And so she makes all of the areas surrounding the volcano that they're on, on top of this celestial look like other volcanoes. And so it's like, Ooh, where'd the celestial go? Although 
listen, Cersei, you've been standing in the same spot. You haven't moved. It's not that tricky. But to dispel the illusion, Druig knocks her over the head and he says, you go for it. Unimind's gone. I can't do anything anymore. And then Cersei puts her hand down on the on the hand of the Celestial and begins turning the whole thing to stone. Oh my gosh. It, it was it was really cool. And it's really cool kind of kind of how it left off. Now Icarus shows up and he's like, hey, I loved you. And Cersei's like, yeah, I know. And he's like, but my mission, I failed my mission. Now I don't know what to do. And Icarus straight up rejected lover, failed eternal, at least according to his own devices. He flies, <laughs> he flies right into the sun. He's like, I've had enough. He, and it was a beautiful moment because he flies out of the atmosphere, a little, little tear coming down his, down his cheek. And uh, Sprite wakes up and she's like, hey, man, I'm sorry. You know, it's just been it's been rough for me, you know. And Cersei says, hey, I think I can now that I can change, you know, things that are not just inorganic things into other things. I think I can change you into a human, make you age, but you will die. You will grow old and die one day. Do you want that? And Sprite's like, yeah, yeah, I do want that. And so then that's all settled. And they kind of all get back together, all the ones that are still still alive and kicking and not not flown into the sun and not Ajax fed to the deviants. They get back together and they're like, hey, what are we going to do? Well, we're going to live our life here on Earth. This is our this is our place now. And Sprite's got to go to school for some weird reason. And so Dane Whitman and Cer- Cersei are are uh, they're walking around in a park, you know, kind of enjoying their time time together. And earlier in the show. Dane Whitman had called up Cersei and well, Cersei thought the the whole planet was going to be destroyed because of the emergence. Uh, he called her up and he was like, Hey, how's everything going? She's like, you know, go do the things that you want. You might not have all that time in the world. I know you wanted to talk with your uncle. And that seemed like a very weird thing to say, but Anthony informs me that Dane Whitman is the black Knight, And the Black Knight is a title and a power and a sword that has been passed down uh, through his particular family. So I'm assuming that uncle that he mentioned very off the cuff, seemingly very out of place to Cersei over the telephone, is uh, one that's going to give him the power or he's going to discover something with it. But they're walking through the park and he's like, hey, I've got a lot of things to tell you. And she's like, yeah, I'm immortal too, whatever. And then her... And the other Eternals who are still on Earth because a couple of them left. Makari and Druig left the planet in their spaceship after Tiamat was was frozen as stone. What did they what did they leave for? Oh, they went to leave to go kind of find out the truth of the Eternals and find out what the Eternals were all about. I think that's why they left. Makari, they did that speed. She's like a speedster and they did her amazing. Like on that fight on the beach. Icarus was up against this rock wall and she was just as a triangle, just back and forth, nailing him into this wall. I can't remember how he finally got her tripped her up with his laser or some, some damn thing. Anyway, uh, so the Eternals get sucked up into the sky. The, the ones that remained on earth by Erisham, the judge, he's like, Oh, what did you do? You shouldn't have done that. And he's like, I got, I'm going to have to see if you guys think that these humans are so dang special 
I'm going to have to investigate this a little bit. I'm going to have to search your memories because that's what he does. Every time they go to a new place, he takes their memories out. And that's actually what the mad weary is that, that Thena got, um, is because all of her past lives memories were starting to get jumbled together. And so that's what happens to him when, when that kind of glitch, it sounds like it feels like that these celestials are not super great programmers. <laughs> so I, I don't know, May, maybe they're there. They are. Um, so there is a, there's two post credit scenes. Oh no. He, he says, um, I'm going to have to figure out if these humans are worth it. And then he beams himself and them off into the cosmos. We don't know where he went. Hopefully they will show up at some other point. Um, there is a post credit scene with, uh, Dane Whitman and he's in a study of some kind. He opens up a box. He's hearing these voices in his head and he opens this box up and there's a sword. Apparently it's a sword called the ebony blade, which they do reference earlier in the show, uh, they asked Thena where she got that blade. Is it the ebony blade? And she's like, no, it's just Excalibur. <laughs> wah, wah, wah. Um, but he opens his box up and he reaches in to touch, touch the blade. And there's like these small little tendril hairs coming off the blade, these dark black little tendrils. And I can't remember what he said. He said something like, are you ready for that or something off camera, which like we, we wouldn't have known who it was if he wasn't credited with an appearance. But it was uh, Mahershala Ali's character, Blade. Uh, so the introduction to Blade, a little bit anticlimactic. I know they love to tease things out, but you can give us a little bit more of a tease uh, than that. In that, Mark Bernard and I do agree. <clears throat> so the uh, Eternals are a couple of them, Makari and Druig. I think those were the only ones. Maybe Thena went with them as well. Maybe not. But they left Earth, and as they were flying out in space, they didn't get captured by Erisham. Uh, another guy gets beamed in, and who is it? It's Pip the Troll, or at least a a very strangely rendered, uncanny valley version of Pip the Troll. They, they need to do some work on that CG. It was only a post-credit scene, so I'm not going to not going to bust their chops too much. But he comes in and he announces someone else. He's obviously drunk. He announces uh, Harry Styles. And Harry Styles comes in and he says, hey, look, I'm an eternal like you guys. My name is Star Fox. I'm the brother of Thanos. Oh, no. Uh, Pip announces him as the brother of, Th of Thanos. And he comes in. He says, look, I know how to I know how to find your your brothers and sisters, because I guess they know that Erisham took them. Ereshen took them away. So he, his powers in the comics, I think we've talked about this on the podcast before, but he has, uh, his, he's, he has the powers of Eros and he can make anyone have sex with him that he wants, which I guess is probably appropriate for Harry Styles. You could probably find uh, one or two people out there that would agree with that assessment, but that makes him an eternal. And if he is the brother of Thanos, does that then also make Thanos an eternal like he was in the comics? He was a eternal with a deviant gene. So I hope they do more explanation and expansion about that. But overall, the expansion of the universe in this movie was absolutely mind blowing. It was absolutely amazing. Like, what do we have right now? We have a whole cast of characters. 
that are immortal, eternal, and somewhere out in space. We have a giant, a giant being, a celestial Tiamat in the ocean in the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Now, that is a landmark that they can reference to, they can bring back to, they can do callbacks, they can change the plot to... We have Wakanda and New York and Tiamat. Like, this is, this is world building at its finest. And the best thing about these eternal, eternal actors is they can return at any time because they are essentially cloned versions of themselves that go out and repeat this process for infinity throughout the universe. But they can also be recast. Very simply, Erisham or whichever other celestial is making Eternals can just make Eternals that look different. And then new actors can be cast as those Eternals. I'm very excited uh, about about this. Let's see. I've got a, a list of characters here. Just kind of wanted to make sure that I uh, gave them credit. Angelina Jolie as Thena. Don Lee was Gilgamesh. Kit Harrington as Dane Whitman. Richard Madness Icarus. Jimma Chan as Cersei. Selma Hayek as Ajak. Barry Keegan as Druid. Uh, Lauren Ridloff as Makari. Kumali Nanjani as Kingo. Harish Patel as Karun. I didn't talk about Karun at all. He is the assistant to Kingo. And one thing that Kingo did as he was on this adventure before he found out they were going to have to divide and conquer or, you know, fight with within themselves is he was making a documentary of their time together and someone kept breaking all of his assistants cameras. I can't remember if that was Icarus. Maybe it was Gilgamesh. Uh, regardless, a very funny character. Uh, very, very good in the M MCU. This is going to have greater implications on the MCU. Uh, it is going to give us a more, I guess, cosmic scope. When, when you think of a sandbox like Kevin Feige and all of the directors and actors and everyone involved in these Marvel films has given us in the Marvel Cinematic Universe, if you think of that as a sandbox, the sandbox has just gotten much, much bigger. And it's so, it's so cool to me. I thought it was good. I thought this movie was good. A lot of people didn't because it was too dense. It was too much. There were too many characters. I didn't know what all of the characters deals were. That's fine. The MCU anymore, and this is what makes it so unique and so special, at least to me, it doesn't hinge on a single movie anymore. If there is a movie that is a failure which I'm not saying this is, like I said, I thoroughly enjoyed it. But if there's a movie that is a failure, well, it's just a bad chapter in a larger novel. You know, some, some are saying the movie is too crowded. There's too many characters, too many subplots. You can't, you can't go into these Marvel movies anymore. I mean, you can, you can, you won't have as much enjoyment out of them, uh, but you can't go into them like the movie is a contained story by itself because it's not anymore no matter how creative the director is no matter how much they want it to be its own thing and not be related to anything else there is no way that any one of these marvel movies can be independent anymore would you judge an entire series on a bad episode of that series for a television show you shouldn't because that's just what this is this is just an episode in, <laughs> I can't remember how I heard it described uh, as a, the, 
the Marvel Cinematic TV show or something along those lines. This is just one episode in the series. And if we have a bad episode here, and even if the, the characters are bad and the story isn't great, that episode still gave us an entire uh, universe of lore. It gave us so much more of a world. And world building, I'm finding, is something that I am much more attracted to in a movie than any particular star power or you know character development. And that's not to say that I don't appreciate a good story and I don't appreciate good characters. I just think if you have one that doesn't really suit your needs, there's another one that does. And hopefully the one that didn't at least lent something for something to be developed on, on, on later. You know, like if you think of Hawkeye, Hawkeye uh, is out now, you know, Anthony's done a, done some episodes on today's episode about Hawkeye. So if you haven't, you haven't checked those out, check those out. They're so good. Uh, this series is not something I expected to be so emotionally attached to. But do you remember when Hawkeye premiered in Thor and he was just the, he was just the guy with the arrow in the basket and then he was in Avengers and he was kind of just a bad guy and then he was in Avengers Age of Ultron. You gave him a little more backstory with his family. But I don't remember anyone in 2012 going, oh man, the movie was so crowded. You did not give enough time to Hawkeye. You didn't, you didn't give him enough backstory. There's no way I could have cared about Hawkeye because I didn't have enough of him. And now, 10 years later, 10 years after the Avengers, we've got the Hawkeye series, which I think has greatly expanded on Hawkeye's character. It has made him more relatable. It has given him much more emotional depth. And Jeremy Renner, I'm very surprised. He's a hell of an actor, it would seem. So... I don't understand the criticism that, you know, we didn't get a full introduction to every one of these characters. My ideal MCU is an MCU that always has new characters coming in. And even if they haven't been properly introduced yet, you know, maybe there's a crime fighting team uh, that, you know, they pop in and Dr. Strange is like, oh, thank goodness you're out there. I'm glad you stopped that thing. Well, what was that thing? We didn't see that thing, but does it detract from the story that we didn't see that thing? Or does it just make the universe feel full? And that is what I want. That's why I liked Eternals. And that's why I love Ichiro Oda's One Piece. It's funny because like I said, Anthony and I talked about people complaining about MCU movies all being the same. But now it seems the chief complaint is that this one was too different. <laughs> and I know you can't please everybody, but it just, it's so funny. Maybe they're not the same people that are complaining. Maybe the people that were complaining shut up and they were like, ah, finally something different. And the people that weren't complaining are like, ah, this is too different. Even a bad movie can expand the universe. And that's where I will end my Eternals uh, review and recap. I hope it wasn't as disjointed as I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, I like that movie. I'm so looking forward to uh, Spider-Man No Way Home. Man, I've dated this episode a couple of times. If it does not come out before Spider-Man No Way Home, I'm just going to go out on a limb and say I love Spider-Man No Way Home. 
If it hasn't come out before Spider-Man No Way Home, I'm going to say, I think I'm going to love Spider-Man No Way Home. And I think the reason that is, is because it is going to expand the universe. And that's what I want. I want multiverse, multi, multiverses, <laughs> that game by Warner Brothers. I want multi-universal discord and chaos. That's what I want. And that's what this is going to bring. Okay, I've, I've, I've talked enough. That is it for on today's episode. Make sure you stay tuned for our other shows that we have on the podcast. We've got Weekend Wire on Sunday, Monday Madness, then on Thursday, the Culture Jack News Desk, and the Friday Show. And then semi-regularly on Saturday, you can find us here. Check out our YouTube channel, our Instagram account, our Facebook account, Twitter, at Culture Jack. If you'd like to send us an email, you'd like me to <laughs> maybe haphazardly break down a movie or a show that you love i'll do it just send me that email at culture.collective.x2 at gmail.com leave us a review but other than that thank you so much for tuning in to the eternals and we'll see you on the next episode